It's weird not having an outline. Yeah. Yeah. I told you about, I told you about Mike hitting me up and like, how do you outline your show? And I was like, don't. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) I I put way too much work into this and you're just a guest. Please don't do all that work. That's like inviting somebody over to your house and then asking them to cook dinner for you. I've had people come over to my house and cook dinner for me. I don't know. Is that going to load? Right. No. It's, oh, oh, there it is. Oh, 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 oh. Nice. Oh, you it looks like a outline. poem. No, Mike, I told you no. <laughs> it took me like 10 minutes. Okay, that makes me feel a little better. Are you looking for a new podcast to check out? Well, if so, you should give my podcast, All the Things That Keep Us Up at Night, a listen. I talk true crime, missing persons, haunted locations, history behind spooky landmarks, urban legends, and I'll even dabble into some conspiracy theories. And at times, I give my opinions that nobody asks for. Hope you subscribe to my podcast, All the Things That Keep Us Up at Night. Stay spooky, you beautiful weirdos. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Young-Ray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon. Hey there. And guest starring this episode is my lovely friend, Mike Yagney. Hi! How are you guys? Yay! <laughs> it Mike! <laughs> it me! I got your name right, right? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Aces. <laughs> nice. Because I fuck up Sunshine's name sometimes. Oh yeah, it's funny. And she's been <laughs> here since, uh, what, we were like 14? So, yeah, you know. 13, 14, mm-hmm. 8th grade. Way, way, way too many. (laughs) I have one friend that I've known for that extended period of a time, and I've known him since he was three. Wow. That was five. (laughs) Yeah. I think, yeah, Caroline and like Morgan and them, those are my oldest friends. I met them when I was 10, and then Sunshine when I was like 13, 14. So. Cool. And now I am pushing 30. (laughs) <laughs> well most of my friends that i have now i've only known since just before i turned 30 so i feel like that happens i don't actually have yeah. friends besides alex in like real life <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was thinking about this the other day and like the people that i meet and hang out with willingly that are friends mm-hmm. in real life D crew yeah mm. that it that it. Otherwise, I don't hang out with people in real life. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I hang out with podcasters on the internet. I mean, yeah. Also, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Many, many time old people stuff. <laughs> Words. So what are we, what are we uh, talking about today? All right, so the story that I bring you is of the ghost ship Palatine, uh, which is a story that 
goes back to the early to mid 1700s off of Block Island, Rhode Island. So the way okay. I, the way I put this together is there was a poem written about it. And now looking at how long this is, I'm not going to read the whole damn poem because I subject <laughs> you guys to that. That's fine. Uh, so, before you get into your outline, mm-hmm. you want to tell us a little bit about you? Oh, about me? This I thought this you show know, was what, about the you story, being a guest. Me. I mean, um, it is about the story, <laughs> but I figure since you're coming on, we can hype you a little. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mom didn't have anything to plug. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a smattering of all sorts of things. I'm 38 years old, married, I've got three kids, and two of them are technically adults. One of the youngest is 16. Yuck. Uh, I've been active duty Coast Guard since the year 2000. So I'm coming up on my 20th year on active duty. I was born and raised in Bristol, Rhode Island, uh, but I've more or less just been New Englandy. And because of like personal issues and kid issues and stuff like that, I've managed to always been, I've always been stationed in New England. So I've lived in Rhode Island, Mass, Maine, and New Hampshire. The only state I've never actually touched has been Vermont. <laughs> All right. I think um, I actually have been to Vermont. <laughs> I know I have. Yeah. That's like 30 minutes from Boston, right? No? Uh, like maybe closer to three hours. Okay, maybe I haven't been to Vermont. <laughs> Yeah, no. I have been to the East Coast in like my adult life twice. <laughs> Wait, no, several times actually. <laughs> several I'm, times. I'm just time. cheating. But but the, the times that I went to DC kind of don't count because it's like DC. Yeah. You go to DC and then like maybe you go to Virginia. Yeah, there's not really a coast in Washington DC. It's a river. So. Um. <laughs> and also, I just spend all of my time in the Smithsonian. Yeah, well, why wouldn't you? It's all I free would. and it's so fucking cool. <laughs> I've DC actually, cool. I don't even, I don't, I've been to Washington, D.C. once and I don't even think we checked out anything cool. I was oh like 15. God. I I love Washington, D.C. I've been there twice and like they have a fuckload of free museums because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the American museums that we pay for with our tax money. Yeah. And so like there's all of these art museums and like both of the times that I've been, I've been with my mom who, if you heard our last off week episode was a guest and is smart as shit. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. embarrassingly smart. Like just mom is so fucking smart. Oh my God. Editing that episode was ridiculous. Cause I was like, I can't process <laughs> what my mom is saying anymore. I'm going to put this down. <laughs> Isn't she like an astrophysicist or something? Yeah. My mom does astronomy and physics and is currently in grad school for physics education. Wow. Good on her, man. That's awesome. But but my mom has, I think, a bachelor's in physics and a minor in chemistry and a minor in art and a master's in physics. Wow. That's a whole lot of words, like, that's a whole lot of, like, word salad at the end of a name in, a t- in titles. Yeah. Yeah. B.A., M.S., Ph.D. Yeah, my, my dad is also a Ph.D. physicist, so my parents are stupid smart. Holy but, shit. Now I see um, where you get it from. Damn, dude. But 
like going to the Smithsonian with my mom, like I go to the art museums and my mom is an art person. And so I'd go to the art museums with my mom and my mom would be like, oh, blah, 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 this and this and this and this and this and this. <laughs> and I finally caught up with my mom on like art stuff. Kind of. Yeah. Mom's still better than me in every way. But <laughs> <laughs> I can like catch up with her or keep up with her in, in art museums. But we'll go to the Natural History Museum and we'll look at rocks. And my mom will be like, oh, of course that rock floats. Look at the chemical combination on it. <laughs> just looking at like the the molecular. <laughs> and I'm just like, mom, what in the fuck? <laughs> like, that's not even your job. You do space stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you do space stuff. Huh? I love it when you get mad at your mom for being smart. <laughs> it's very entertaining. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> anyway moral is i like dc a lot yeah. but i'm bad at the east coast because in the west coast we have big states that take a long time to drive through hours and on the and east hours. coast you guys have a bunch of little baby states that are like boop, 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 yeah. and then you sneeze and you've accidentally driven over them for example rhode island yep little baby <laughs> Yep, it's it's an hour to get from like the the farthest point of Rhode Island to the other farthest point of Rhode Island, and that's if there's no traffic. Yeah, yeah. and I uh, drive an hour, and I'm in Provo. <laughs> Yay! Which is the worst part of Utah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I know. My commute it's, right it's now where is where BYU an hour, is, <laughs> and I drive from Eastern Massachusetts to the southern tip of Rhode Island, and it only takes me Ew. an hour. I don't want to drive an hour every day. Oh, it's not bad. <laughs> uh, it, it was worse. That my the, the unit I was at before was up in Gloucester, so it's on the north side of Boston. And where I live in Eastern Mass is towards Cape Cod, which is south of Boston. I would have to leave my house at five fifteen in the morning to make it to the ship before seven. Oh no 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 no! And I did that for three no. years. Ew, I hate that. I hate it. (laughs) I will will never do it again because I think I may have slept through more miles than I actually drove. Yeah, fair. Oh my God, that gives me death. Yeah, that was was a big fat no bueno. I don't know why I was done. I'm always impressed with how many East Coasters are willing to drive forever. When your states are so little, you're willing to sit in the car for so long. So you, you have to think of like how the East Coast was built versus how the West Coast was built. Right. You it guys, was built by cows just well, wandering. There was, there was that and, and the fact that you guys were planned out a little bit better than we were. Oh, we were, we're a grid system, yo. We're just like, wah, wah, yeah. wah. Exactly. There's it's beautiful. I love it. So and much. y'all are just like Boston because fuck you. Because it's all colonial roads that are like 500 years old. Like, some of the roads here are the same roads that existed in the same patterns and everything as, like, it was in, like, 1630. This is as God ordained it. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And because they just kept building and building and building and building and building and building and building, nothing ever got widened. So there's some roads, like, the, oh, no. the, the craziest thing about cities like Providence and Boston is that there's roads that look like they're big enough to be two ways that are one ways, and other ones that are two-way roads, but somehow they're only... They only fit a car and a half. Yeah, city planning, not our strongest suit. I 
I really would love to go somewhere that's been around forever mm. someday, which would probably be going literally anywhere that's not West Coast America. But because yeah. <laughs> like you go to Europe and there's like a thousand like, oh, yes, well, this is a castle from 2000 years ago. Yeah. Walking around the north end of Boston is like that. It's all like windy and narrow, and I mean, it. There's times where you like you could stand there and look around. And you're like, okay, I can see how that guy from Assassin's Creed was jumping from building to building. <laughs> <laughs> because I almost feel like I could do it if I just worked out a little bit more. Just a little more working out. <laughs> I could jump this building. Little bit. parkour. Yeah, <laughs> hardcore parkour. Um. So yeah, I've lived in New England my whole life. Um, my travel's been limited. Like, I was on one ship that we went down to the Caribbean all the fucking time. But nowhere That's nice fun. in the Caribbean. Yeah, no. Not, it, uh. it, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> Nassau was cool the three days I was there. Spent a lot of time in Guantanamo Bay. That's a trip. Uh, Key West a bunch of times. And... <laughs> You broke it. <laughs> what? Oh, I was just, uh... Alex hasn't had control of her face since she said Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, I, I, at some point I'm going to have to ask you to, uh, uh, follow up on, on that Guantanamo Bay thing. Oh, it wasn't, it, it was right before, well, no, I think it was, like, right at the, like, whole Camp X-Ray thing, but, like, it's, Gitmo has been, like, a Navy... A, 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 or a military supply depot and just stopping point where you can get fuel and food. So, oh, so like, you didn't go there to torture random, no. undocumented uh, Israeli or no, 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 no. <laughs> the only undocumented we ever dealt with was Cubans and Haitians that we found in the middle of the ocean and pulled them off oh. whatever contraption they built so they didn't die. Yeah, valid. And right, then, right. You're you're Coast Guard, so you are basically like. You're like sea paramedics. Combination paramedics and police force, yeah. Yeah. Like sea paramedics. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, talking about the Coast Guard would be a whole different episode unto itself because there's <laughs> 15 million different things. Anytime that there's something the government's like, you know what, we should probably have somebody take, you know, taking care of this particular thing. And they're like, ah, give it to the Coast Guard. <laughs> okay. Well, because we do search and rescue, we do law enforcement, um, we're the only military branch that can do actual law enforcement, um, we do environmental protection, uh, so, okay. like, spill cleanup, we do that. Um, like, oil, like, that sucks. Exxon, Exxon that Valdez, sucks. you know, we joke, like, there's one particular rating called the Marine Science Technicians, and we jokingly call them duck scrubbers, because they work in- I was going to ask, dimension. have you ever scrubbed down- uh, a bird. <laughs> nope, nope. I've I have not been involved with that. But we were like, there was a lot of coasties down when the Deepwater Horizon thing went. <clears throat> that was primarily run by the Coast Guard. Um, okay. So there's that, and then there's uh, the Port Waterways Coastal Security. So it's like running, you know, escorting tanker ships and protecting ports. Uh, we do military stuff. We do drug interdiction. We do migrant interdiction. Uh, we also do aids to navigation maintenance. So like the buoys that you see out in the ocean, there's a coast guard ship that pulls alongside it, pulls it out of the water, pulls the chain up out of the water, replaces the chain, scrubs the buoy, sometimes maybe repaint it and then put it back in. Okay. Yeah. So, so what 
do you do? Do you you don't do all of that, do you? Or not at my current unit? No, my current okay. unit is oh, and uh, in fisheries enforcement. Forgot about that one. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So you're like the, you're game the fishing game. The yeah, yeah. You're the ocean fishing game police. Great. Pretty much. Well, because U.S. Uh, territorial seas for fisheries goes out 200 miles. Oh, that's oh my god! I'd never thought about that. Yeah. Because once you break off of the land, how you know, legally speaking, that's just sort of like a Alex Lawbrain nerding. You know, once you break off of the land, what do you still own? I mean, honestly, that's that is the nature of um, environmental law. Yeah. Ninety percent of the time. So, like, even West Coast. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the middle of the desert. Who owns this river, whether it's upstream or downstream? Yeah. Oh, my God. Always fighting. Utah and, and Nevada, Utah, Arizona, we're always fighting over rivers. Oh, I bet. Um, because we're fucking deserts. <laughs> we yeah. need that goddamn water. <laughs> well, there's actually a Coast Guard station in Lake Tahoe. Really? Because Lake Tahoe it bridles two <laughs> Is big two enough states. for a Coast Guard? <laughs> it's because it's two different states. Oh, okay. Order it so that makes it a federal, uh, federal territory, or fe- okay. under federal wow. jurisdiction. So what? the Coast Guard hangs out there. That's great. That is so yep. random. It's referred to Does a station vacation. Does that mean that there's military in Yellowstone? Mm, not <laughs> us, because there's no major waterway. But like, no. that's. I mean, there's a co- <laughs> Coast Guard in the geysers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I mean, there's a Coast Guard station in Burlington, Vermont, too, which is nowhere near the ocean. But it's part of the St. Lawrence Seaway, Lake Champlain, I think, or whatever it is. Um, all across okay. the Great Lakes, there's Coast Guard stuff in there. Oh, that makes sense. That is so cool. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, so what I do is I'm at a small boat station at Point Judith, Rhode Island, uh, which is where this story is based. And that's how I heard about it mm-hmm. is after I got stationed there. And we do search and rescue. We do ferry escorts because there's a Block Island ferry that goes out. And we escorted out during the summer because they'll have upwards of a thousand people on these ships going to Block Island. And uh, recreational boating safety, uh, which is kind of like if you got pulled over and the police are like, all right, let's make sure that your seatbelts work, make sure your brakes work. It's kind of a combination of like getting your car inspected at a mechanic shop, and, except it's done by like a cop that can write you a ticket if you're out of compliance type of thing. Well, you can get a DUI on a boat, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. driving driving a boat while drunk yeah but there's like regulations Can you get a dui driving a rowboat while drunk <laughs> That's, these are the important questions here actually i need to know this <laughs> i mean because you're not gonna hit somebody on a rowboat most likely you could hit somebody with your rowers i mean you'll you'll hit some well you, you can still make yourself a hazard to navigation because when it comes to boating there's no licensure requirements for it at all if you have the money to buy a boat you can get a boat. Okay. I mean, you can get a DUI on a bike. Yeah. Which is annoying, but okay. Which <laughs> <laughs> um, is annoying, but okay. Like, when you get out to open ocean, it's like having people with... It'd be the equivalent of being in a giant parking lot with people with all cars that have no driver's license and don't know what they're doing and no guidelines. You know, there's no lines in the ocean like there are, like, you know, lines on the road. It's just a free-for-all. Yeah, okay, valid. Yeah. You know, you know that that video of the person who's trying to line up kittens and they keep walking away, and so they're. Yep. That sounds like your job. 
Kind of. <laughs> it, it can be. It, well, sometimes that's like dealing with the people that I work with. <laughs> Lining up kittens. No, come back. Yeah. Come back. <laughs> so we do the search and rescue thing. We do the escorting the ferries. We do the recreational boating safety. And then we do the fishery stuff. So. So, so when you do a search and rescue in the middle of the ocean, do you, do you do that in the middle of the ocean or um, how often do you find people and how often are people just like lost to the sea? That is a very complex question. <laughs> um, so for the shore units, like small boat stations, we only go out about 35 miles because that's the limit of our boats. Like the biggest boat that we have is 45 feet. Um, okay. I have so, no idea what counts as seaworthy. I am very, very landlocked. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> like a minivan is roughly about 30 feet long. Is it really? Yeah. It's longer than I thought it was. Yeah. So a 45-foot boat is actually kind of a little baby boat. Oh, God, yes, it is. Especially one that's, oh. a, especially considering it's rated for 10-foot seas. What's a 10-foot sea? Ten foot waves. Sorry. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, the wave could eat the boat. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but the, the boats boat. are designed. Uh, our our heavy weather boats, like our forty five footers, our forty seven footers, they're designed to do this, and just come back back up. They're self riding. They're a weebles wobble. Yeah, that's what Jen calls <laughs> it. The, that's what she calls the forty seven. It's it's the weeble boat. I'll send you guys some videos after this that that will blow your fucking minds on what these boats can do. And will terrify the shit out of me. I can't wait. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time. And we trade for that out in uh, at Cape Disappointment on the Columbia. Cape Disappointment? Such a sad name. Yeah. Well, it, Who named that? <laughs> the people that were taking boats in there before there was a Coast Guard because there's a shitload of shipwrecks out there. Oh, no. So, yeah. Oh no! <laughs> so, yeah. As far as the searching goes, like there's like complicated search patterns that we all learn how to do, where we essentially we we block out like a, a portion of the ocean and we do we run lines through it at certain intervals and there's different patterns depending on how big of an area or what you're looking for. It's a very it's a very complex process that goes into drive boat in straight line, make ninety degree turn, make ninety degree turn, drive boat in a straight line for six hours. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like finding something in an ocean, that's, like, needle in a haystack is not a small enough to a large enough for that to work. It seems like it, but the the thing is, is with the way that they put these patterns together, um, they've got a, there's a computer program called uh, SARops, or Search and Rescue Operations, and it calculates everything from wind speed to current to tide, and it pumps it up with all of this data. And then, like, what size boat you're look you're using, what the visibility is, what the weather conditions are, and it pumps out the pattern a certain way that it compensates for all of those variables and figures out okay, if they fell in the water here at, at this time, and we're currently starting at this time, this is the rough idea of where they would be. That's pretty cool. Wow. And that is really cool. I mean, it like we joke about it like search patterns are so fucking dumb. It doesn't feel like we ever do anything, but I actually there was a case that I ran up in Boston when I was stationed up there where this these guys called in said they were taking on water 
Uh, it was the middle of the night. We get out there. There's two guys on board. We get them off, and they're like, hey, have you seen Jimmy? We're like, who's Jimmy? Oh, oh it's our buddy that was on the boat. Uh, you only told us there was two people on board. Well, yeah, because he jumped off and tried to swim to the lighthouse on the island there, and we're like... Oh, God. Oh, man. So we search through the night, find, don't find anything. So if you don't find anything at, the, at night and you're starting to get to your cruise endurance limits, you bring them back so you can get a fresh crew out there, and it's called a first light search. So the 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 main base in Boston put together a search pattern with all of those variables, you know, person in the water, uh, what the tide was doing and all that stuff. And we, I mean, we ended up finding him on the second leg of the search pattern the next morning. Was he? Nope, he was a floater. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, so one of my biggest, like, existential fears is, like, my body being lost at sea. I have no idea why that bothers me so much. Like, I don't give a fuck about what happens to my body. Yeah. I think it's just the whole idea of, like, nobody knowing what happened to me. Yeah. Like, at least when you feed me to bears or whatever you decide to do with me, <laughs> feed you, you know that I'm dead before you've fed me to the bears. But me being lost at sea, like, I'm just gone. There's There's a little bit of comfort, I guess, in knowing that if I get lost at sea, y'all will probably find me. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's a forty-minute snapshot of Coast Guard life. Like I said, I could no, it's it's really cool. No, and and I mean, I think our listeners know by now that I am very scared of the ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you just talking about your job is 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 plenty good enough for <laughs> yeah. an introduction. Also, you have a podcast. Yeah, that's how I met you. <laughs> yeah. Not Coast uh, At least digitally. Yeah. Uh, yes. Even though it's based on Coast Guarding somewhat. Uh, it's a horror bod- podcast that takes place in Boston where a guy that works at the station goes out and does a rescue on one of the islands. And he finds this weird little like trinket or artifact that's got like a strange engraving on it and strange writing on it. So he puts it in his pocket, goes back to the station, whatever, whatever. Uh, so he starts look like trying to figure out like what it says or what it means, and starts talking to like a local Harvard professor. And as the story progresses, Harvard. he finds out that you know this is an ancient artifact of some kind that has ties to like old world cults and strange rituals and sacrifices and stuff like that. And he starts to slowly lose his mind the more he learns about this thing. And episode 15 is coming out this weekend. And then the finale will be out on, if all goes well, the finale will be out on February 15th. And that'll be the end of season one. You know, the slow decline in mental health is is always a really favorite horror topic of mine. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's very Lovecraft. Yeah, well, that's that's become one of my larger influences was Lovecraft, and then I've been trying to read some of the cosmic and cosmic horror slash weird fiction that influenced him, like um, mm. oh, what the hell was his name? Uh, Robert, uh, the author of The King in Yellow. Shit, I can't remember the I can't remember the author's name. It'll probably come to me at some point. But The King in Yellow had a very heavy just randomly influence. shout it out when you remember in the middle of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we've done that. Yeah. Just like um, I would do if it was me. <laughs> but That was written in like the late 1800s, uh, was The yeah. King in Yellow, and it was about a play 
that if read, it would draw, or if it was performed, it would summon, it would not only summon this otherworldly being, but also drive the audience mad. Okay. Yeah, I love that. That's very. And again, this was something that was written in like 1886 or something like that, or 1895. That's pretty rad. Yeah, I do love that. Yeah, and I mean, you want to talk about somebody that's afraid of the ocean and afraid of going slowly insane? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yet you listen to my show, which covers both of those things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah. So that's uh. That's that's me in a 40, 40, 40 to forty five minute nutshell. Nice. Fat fast fast mode, Mike Gagney. Yeah. <laughs> well, because one one thing I've learned, especially listening to your guys' show, is that I, I'm I, I have a lot of similarities to Alex, where I'll just get on a subject and I'll just go and 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 go. <laughs> so <sighs> it's. It's my specialty. <laughs> well, with the multi-part Sunshine episodes? puts up with me. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I'm like, okay, I accidentally outlined too big. We're doing this in two parts. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All the time. I think every... I, don't, I can't remember the last time we recorded something and that didn't happen. Uh, When we did Bruce MacArthur. Oh, okay. We were able to do that in one episode. And I was really proud of that. However, <laughs> it was supposed to be a mini episode that we turned into a full length so episode. Oh, Jesus. It was still twice as long as it was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't restrain myself. I'm just like, okay, research time. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. But hey, I've I'm developing a name for myself. People Good are job. starting to recognize that like Palm Pitch Pod puts in way too much research into their episodes. And I'll take it. <laughs> hey, man, I am all about research because, like, that's that's one thing that I've done. Even though it's put my the the concept behind my show is completely, I want to say fantasy, but it's fiction. Like, there's no elder gods at the bottom of the ocean that are coming to you know enslave us all or in anything like that. But maybe <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's is, a reason I live in Utah. Like, there was this one time in the Caribbean where I looked down while under the water and it was very oh, dark. And yeah, but again, story for another time. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I mean, I, I feel you on the research part because I actually do a lot of research for my show because I like to try to talk like for season one, I tied in a lot of historical elements about things that actually happened and actually existed, at least to some degree. Yeah. You know, and then especially with like season two, uh, which is actually what got me more involved into knowing about the whole Palatine thing because season two takes place at my current unit. Ooh. So I pulled, I, you know, dug real deep into that because I realized, especially on the audio drama side, is that there's, I've got so much more material and background information and notes that doesn't actually make it into any of the scripts <laughs> because it's all like <laughs> background information as like motivational oh, yeah. factors. And this is how like a through Z got to triple a to triple F and it's only like triple G that actually gets put into a script. It's yeah, such a I weird know. Process. I know the, uh, the feel of, of I did all of this research and I'm going to include this fact, mm-hmm. <laughs> just this little piece. It's it's yeah. the, it's exactly like that. 
But, you know, I've I've actually gotten that impression from listening to audio fiction. Everything from, like, you know, the Panthers, like, uh, Oz9, Shannon Perry, who, who literally, like, writes her episodes and then gives the scripts to her actors and then they record. Yeah, in, like, three days. <laughs> yeah, like, like, just, like, boom, boom, boom. They do a ton of research mm-hmm. for random elements and like sage and savant you know eddie louise who researches all sorts of weird history because her show involves time travel yeah and so there's a bunch of like pieces of history that she's Hmm. including in her show and yeah i've i've uh i've come to really respect the research of pretty much any podcast producer because damn guys podcasting take a lot of work (laughs) yeah yeah it blew my mind when i was like wow this is a lot more involved than i thought it was gonna be so yeah (laughs) i feel you man i feel you but Mm -hmm. but you can't get out once you're in (laughs) Mm -mm. Mm -mm. i'm having way too much fun doing this you've sold your soul to the elder gods that are (laughs) under the ocean and you can't you can't back out now yeah probably not that's probably not a good idea (sighs) so what's next oh yeah there's a story to tell right yeah, so I know Mike through the podcasting community, and I've listened to his show, and I I don't actually, I think it was really just that, like, I kept talking about how scary the ocean was, and the East Coasters, especially Mr. Coast Guard over here, mm-hmm. were like, ocean, whatever, and I was like, no, you don't understand, it's very scary, and they were like, no, you don't understand, ocean is where we live, and you were like, I have some scary stories. And I was like, tell me them. <laughs> yeah, I don't need any uh, more motivation to be afraid of the ocean, but I'll take it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Confirmation bias, right? That's a yep. thing. We're just searching for it. All right. Well, I will I will be feeding that beast. Thank you. Yes. I'm fully <laughs> aware that the ocean is scary as hell. All right. So feed that beast. All right. So <laughs> I give you a little bit of historical background. So Block Island is in Long Island Sound. And it. Um, this is actually a quote from the poet. It was called by the Indians Manassees, the Isle of the Little God. And it was the scene of a tragic accident a hundred years or more ago when the Palatine, an emigrant ship bound for Philadelphia, driven off its course, came upon the coast at this point. A mutiny on board, followed by an inhuman desertion on the part of the crew, had brought the unhappy passengers to the verge of starvation and madness. So it's seven about about seven miles off the south coast of Rhode Island, and it's situated between Martha's Vineyard and Montauk, Long Island. Montauk's the very last town on the eastern tip. Isn't Long Island New York? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, like, if you look at if you look at a map of the Northeast. You've got like this like narrow claw type of thing, and mm-hmm. where the, like the little skinny part on the south side is Long Island, and that's part of New York, and then the other mm-hmm. side of that body of water, which is Long Island Sound, is Connecticut. Okay, because and then makes sense. there's an island in that area, just that's Rhode Island. No, just to the east of Montauk is Block Island, and interestingly enough, if you look at it from above, it's shaped like a pork chop. Nice. Okay. Yeah, and that's just south of mainland Rhode Island. So it should be Chop Island. Yeah. Well, the reason they called it Block Island is because when it was fort, when it was first, uh, did I write it down here? 
No. Um, when it was first spotted, because it was like just these these huge like cliff faces. So it looks it literally looks like a big block because the way that the mm-hmm. the bluffs were and everything because it stands up really 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 high. So that's why it got t- called Block Island because well there wasn't satellite imagery. So uh, a gentleman named Samuel Adams Drake, who is a ship captain in the 1800s, stated once that he would rather be wrecked anywhere than upon Block Island uh, because that was a common significant saying in the Folksler Midnight Watch when the dark mass of the island heaved in sight because there was a long-standing rumor that the locals hated that wreckers would lure ships ashore with false lights, kill the crews, and divide the spoils. So it's like a pirate oh. island. Okay, so this isn't the same story that inspired the fog, is it? I don't believe so, no. Okay, because I know that there was like some kind of weird mutiny crashed ship something something that inspired that, the the John Carpenter film. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a shitload of actual events where there's been mutiny crews and yeah, ships from the ground. True. Especially in New England, just because... It was, I mean, it was the first stop from anybody doing a, a a trans-oceanic voyage of any point in time. Coming from Europe, they would hit the Americas. And mostly, like, New England and the mid-coast, the mid-Atlantic coast, you know, is full of shoals. It's full of rocks. Especially, like, you look at a, oh, yeah. you look at an overhead view of Maine, it is, it, it, it is a disaster piece of just rocky bullshit to hit. Especially if you can't see <laughs> Yeah, the only thing that I think of when I think of Maine is, like, <laughs> I mean, basically, like, the haunted house on, like, the castle, uh, on the castle, on the, uh, on the, like, mountain cliff that drops right down into rocky shores. Like, that's what I think of when I think of Maine. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right, because there's a lot of locations that are like that up in Maine. Like, creepy-ass houses on cliffs, even though you'll get that in Newport, Rhode Island, too, because that was where all the uh, New York elite used to do their <laughs> buy their summer home mansions was out in Newport. There's a whole oh. guided tour you can do down there. Mmm, rocky cliffs, so fancy. Yeah, that sounds kind of like I went to uh, the Mohonk Mountain House up in upstate New York, and that's what it was like. There was mm-hmm. It was a lake. It was a lake instead of, you know, an ocean or anything, but same kind of look and same kind of architecture. Yeah. Well, the Great Lakes can get yeah. just as gnarly. I suppose I also think of Stephen King. Mm. (laughs) when i think of maine yeah that's fair so to get to the you know to okay so go ahead the there was a a crash no there wasn't a crash but people starving where'd that where'd that happen so that's that's what i'm getting to just providing a little bit of background because there was okay so So we're background before the people starving yes yes so there's there's some history like you know it took a while for uh, white people to get to the island because, again, mm-hmm. <laughs> seven miles offshore, you know, Point Judith in that Narragansett South County area was very sparsely populated when colonization was happening. So it took them a while to get out there. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't, there wasn't a very heavy native presence in Block Island to begin with. So now you fast forward about 100 or so years after, you know, colonization begins. So you've got August 1738. The, 1738. Yep. The ship, the Countess Augusta, which is the actual name of the boat, Palatine, and we'll get to the reason it's called that in a minute. It set Ooh. sail from Rotterdam, which is Germany, okay. which in what was referred to as the Palatine region of southwest Germany. 
Oh. Yeah. It set sail from Rotterdam in what was referred to maybe at the time of the 1700s, maybe, as the Palatine region of southwest Germany. Its captain, George Long, a 14-man crew, and 240 immigrants headed for Philly and Virginia. Is that normal? A 14-man crew for a 200-person... Yeah, because crew is based off of the usually based off of vessel size, not based off of passengers. You know. Okay, and, but passengers is also based off of vessel size, right? Kinda depends on how expensive it was, I guess. I guess you could. I guess you know we were talking these old stories. You can shove a whole lot of people in a really small space. Yeah, because like the Mayflower yeah. was tiny and it carried a buttload of people over. Oh, that sounds really nice. I'm so glad that I wasn't born in the 1700s. Agreed. I'm not a 1700s kind of a person. Negative. No, <laughs> no I'm right I would have been you. burned as a witch. Yeah, you bro- would have been burned as a witch. I'm saying that to both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no. I mean, I would have been fine. No. My, my wife, Jen, <laughs> my wife, Jen, has relatives that were hung as witches. Yeah. Yes, she does. She's nurse. related to the, the nurse, right? Yeah, Rebecca Nurse and Sarah something. I don't know. We can add, you can have her on. You can guys can do a, another Salem Witches nice. episode. Ooh, that'd yeah. be fun. Um, so where was I? Ah, so the journey. The journey was no es bueno. Uh, the water was contaminated. <laughs> no es bueno. Yes. The water was contaminated. Um, on the ship? On the ship. Okay, how do you... Oh, God. Yeah. So oh, people boy. were getting sick. They were dying. They were pitching corpses overboard during the transit. It was... And then you've got those tightly packed quarters of mm-hmm. sick people. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's... Man, I'm really, really glad I'm not a 1700s girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the passengers and crew died of sickness due to the contaminated water, and there were stormy seas, like, throughout the journey because... Fall, you know, you've got, I mean, just thinking about living here in the 20th century, you know, you've got the hurricanes that will work their way up the coast during that time of year. You know, I mean, hurricane season here goes until October. So and everything is snowmageddon up there. Oh, God, yeah. The, the snow, the seas, <laughs> especially you've got like the, the warm water and the cold water hitting together and that causes all sorts of issues. So, yeah, it was it, it was a very shitty ride across the Atlantic in a boat that was maybe doing eight to ten miles an hour on a good day because mm. they were not yeah there quick. is a good reason i am not a fan of the ocean <laughs> <laughs> um the captain ended up being one of the people who died so that left the first mate a guy named andrew brooke in charge as supplies dwindled he started charging passengers for food oh no they're gonna eat each other <laughs> no, no, I'm calling it. <laughs> no, that's a different shipwreck. That's boot. That that's a shipwreck that happened on Boone Island in Maine. You can look that one up on your <laughs> okay. own. But yeah, that was okay, the first. Ca- okay. That was the first recorded case of cannibalism in the United States. Was Boone Island, Maine? Lovely. Yep. Okay. Well, I guess that's going in our cannibalism series when we get to it. Cool. Cool. I'll do the. I'll do the same <laughs> amount of research for that that I did for this. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Again, for so they left in August. All right, December of that year mm. is when they started getting close to New England. Okay. Wow. So four months at sea. Yeah. 
and they were trying to get to Philly, but they kept getting pushed oh, northward man. into oh, no. the area of New England. Okay, so I keep thinking of like this keeps giving me like the ocean version of the Donner Party. Yeah. I keep hearing about you that, know? but I haven't actually read anything on it. Oh, you're fine. It's a it's more of a local legend because they went through Utah to get to California and they left too late in the year and got stuck in the Rocky Mountains and ate each other when it was snowing and were fucked and then they ate each other. Yeah. And that's why it was so gnarly. But like stuff like that happened all the time when you were going west was, you know, you left a little too late in the year. You got to leave in the spring. You got to. Yeah. If you leave in the late summer, you're going to get stuck in the Rocky Mountains in a snowstorm. Yeah. Because the Rocky Mountains aren't aren't to be fucked with. And and so it kind of seems like it seems like possibly no matter where you are traveling or how you traveled, you are always fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Because th- that's what this keeps giving me is like, oh, they left too late in the year. And so, you know, they left in August. And so it took them till December to get not to where they were going. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, at least with overland navigation, you know, even like you're, like back then using like the stars oh, or whatever, yeah. you know, it's easy to figure you know, like north, south, east, west. Okay, cool. But it's not like the ground is moving you. Yeah. As you're going overland, like you'll have to like maneuver around things, but you can just you can stop your wagon train and be like, okay, let's get situated that way. Right. On a boat, not so much, because I believe even back then they only had I think it was latitude lines that they could go off of Mm -hmm. because latitude stayed the same no matter where you were. It was longitude that gets wider and narrower as you go north and south. Yeah, I, I would have never really thought about that. Yeah. Isn't it because you need, like, timekeeping, like, some sort of really accurate timekeeping device in order to figure out one of those, too? So, like, it wasn't really possible for them to navigate that? Yeah, because you're using time, speed, distance um, a lot. It's called dead reckoning navigation. So it's calculating time. You, you, like, I'm going to go X number of miles at this speed in this amount of time. That whole okay. is a, there's, a, there's a calculation for it. I don't know enough about old-timey navigation, but they just had, like, a compass. But as far as, like, plotting their position on a chart, it was more estimated because uh, the way the way that you would use the stars and everything would only give you, like, a latitude. It wouldn't right. actually give you a longitude. So that's why... I am starting to think that if I understood old-timey navigation, I would have understood Mom's explanation of relativity better. <laughs> Probably. I'm going to have to list... Maybe. I I don't know. I've never learned how to like navigate by the stars. I know it's very accurate, um, as long as that you know is... what you're doing. But it's it's a lot of math, and me no math good at all. <laughs> My at grandpa all. was in the navy, and he was uh, in the navigation division for a little while on the aircraft carrier that he was on. And so mm-hmm. he he'll talk to me about that every once in a while, but only enough to like thoroughly confuse me. <laughs> I I know that feeling, sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> well. And that's the other thing, too, is that, like, on a ship, like, the size of an aircraft carrier, like, it takes a lot of moving water to make that ship, like, move. Yeah. Like, it, those things are like cities, you know? I mean, yeah. even most of the most of the boats oh, yeah, that I've been big, on. Big boys. The boats and even the biggest ship that I was on was only 270 feet. You know, you're still doing this. Rocking. Yeah. 
Do aircraft carriers not rock? I mean, really. it takes a pretty heavy seat. Not really, because they're so fun. Because you can. I mean, they have like multiple not, planes. You can like land and, and take off yeah. a plane on yeah. that. So yeah, that's okay, you're point. right. Holy shit, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. well, I never thought about that because it's not like I see a whole lot of aircraft carriers in fucking Utah. Yeah, well, I've never really seen a lot either. Like there, at one point, like because I was on a 270 foot ship, and what the hell was I gonna say? Yeah, it was only 270 big, feet, big and I'm like, okay, this is a pretty decent-sized ship, right? But then at one point, they had taken these two carriers, these two conventional carriers, so these are old guys, pre-nuclear. Uh, they tied them up in downtown Newport at the Navy base, and that's a big boat. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're like seven, eight stories tall, they're 1,200 feet long, and they weigh hundreds of thousands of tons and wait. Right. Yet so, they float. Yeah. Buoyancy is a hell of a Because there's air thing. in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, the navigation aspect, like, that's why, like, anytime you, you read or you hear about, you know, the transatlantic voyages that were made during the colonial period, you know, they're always aiming for somewhere, but though, you know, at the beginning, because they didn't quite know where things were, they always ended up usually a little bit north of everything, and that's because you've got the Gulf Stream that comes up the coast, and it's okay. a really strong current, like and it pushes almost a ten mile an hour current that pushes up the whole oh, east coast. No, and then go and well, then, and your little boat that's going five to ten miles. Yeah, so that's that, that's how <laughs> you're fucked. That's how you aim for Philly, and you end up in Rhode Island. <laughs> okay, so so they weren't that far. All things considered, they got almost kind of close. Yeah, globally speaking, they weren't that far <laughs> globally off the mark. Speaking. <laughs> globally speaking, globally um, speaking. So it's December and it's close to Christmas. Like, there's some debate on whether it was like right before, right after, or right around New Year's. Um, the captain, the new captain, the first mate, tried to sneak in through the north side of Block Island to get into Long Island Sound so they weren't hit by the seas too much because even being now being stationed there for two and a half years, almost all of your wind, all of your seas comes from the south to the southwest. So they're trying to get that blocked so they can mm. get in between Long Island and Connecticut. Well, they didn't quite make it. Uh, they mm. hit. Uh, they ran aground on Sandy Point, which is on the northeastern side of Block Island. And... That was bad. So bad. there's multiple stories now on what happened next. So we've got one based off the depositions from the surviving crew that didn't get discovered oh, no. until 1925. Holy shit. And then you've got a lot of anecdotal stories. Uh, so it depends. Which one do you guys want to hear first? The one that's nice or not so nice? Um, oh God. Do I want to go anecdotal nice and then deposition. And nice? I don't anecdotal. know about nice okay. versus, yeah, I think anecdotal and then end deposition, don't you think? So like the unofficial story and the official story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we'll go that, that way. That sounds very Palm Pitch Pod. Yeah. <laughs> so the way I wrote this is that the common version is a lot more piratey than the official version. So, I do love a good piratey. <laughs> so Joseph P. Hazard, uh, who... Uh, I believe was like a relative to Oliver Hazard, who was a, a major admiral in the U.S. Navy uh, a couple hundred years later. 
Uh, he told this version to the poet who wrote the poem, John Greenleaf uh, Whittier. This version states that the islanders lured the ship into shoal water with a false light. The passengers were starving and freezing, so the islanders killed them all, set the ship on fire, and pushed it back out to sea. There was also allegedly a passenger named Mary Vanderline who was driven mad with the suffering and refused to leave her belongings behind. And <laughs> that element, the Mary Vanderline element, is actually a common denominator in both this one and the official oh. one. There's a That's there interesting. A, so she was she offered marbles and didn't want to leave her stuff behind and she stayed on the ship till it went down. I almost wonder if she was just fucking pissed at everything. That is conceivable as well. I could see myself throwing a tantrum that big. <laughs> it's like I have been on this boat for four fucking months. I have been asked to pay for food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After I've already paid for a ticket to go across the ocean in a giant wooden bathroom. To this shithole that isn't what I actually agreed to go to. Yeah, because <laughs> even now, Block Island is not exactly a thriving metropolis of any kind. It's a small town on an island. Right. Um, so, no, I'm not leaving my stuff. Yeah. Y'all can pry it from my cold, dead fingers. So, uh, understandably, locals... Of Block Island are very proud of Block Island even today. Uh, they weren't exactly pleased. Bless their hearts. Yeah, they were not exactly Sorry. pleased with this uh, <laughs> with this representation. Uh, oh. A local preacher named Reverend S. T. Livermore called it intolerable to represent an entire community of law-abiding Christian people as barbarians and pirates. As you could tell, they might have how been... how dare you? And again, they might be, (laughs) I believe they were a little Puritan back then, too. Oh, okay. Right, right, because East Coast. Yeah. (laughs) You know, not to be rude to, but to be rude. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the people weren't happy with this portrayal, and in his 1877 history of the island, Samuel Livermore tried to refute Whittier, the poet's version of the Palatine disaster. He says, and I quote, Poetic fiction has given the public a very wrong view of this occurrence, and thus a wrong impression of the islanders has been obtained. So now we move on to the deposition. Okay, so nope. where where did the piracy come in? Essentially like land pirates. Like they were luring, oh, they were okay. luring the boats ashore. Oh. You know, because, I, and I've been out there, when it's like if there's no lights on the island and it's a dark and stormy night, you don't, you're not going to see that. Because it's just a black mass upon a black mass, and because, uh-huh. and because even uh, I can only like erosion and all of that has done its done its work over the years, so I can only imagine back then that was just this big giant block of blackness, and all of a sudden, boom, you just hit it, and there's a right, lot of shoaling, right. and there's a lot of breakers breaker areas, and on like if you look at a map of it from the top, the north, it's the the north point of Block Island. Is uh, is where like the bone of the pork chop would be. That's actually a really shallow <laughs> reef that is very easily to just run over if you don't know what you're looking for. I mean, isn't that literally the reason for lighthouses? Exactly. Is is the the black? I accidentally hit a fucking yeah fang, and now my ship is is dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was to let them know. Okay, there's something approaching here. You need to turn in one direction or the other. Right. 
So that's where the piratey aspect comes from. And that was based off a lot of the rumors about Block Islanders being somewhat savage because they were out by themselves on the island. They didn't get to shore very often, you know, because it's, <laughs> it's one thing taking a, you know, a 55 minute ferry ride, you know, on a boat that's doing 25, 30 miles an hour. You're talking about like the 1700s where trying to row or sail <laughs> seven miles <laughs> no. or more. <laughs> is that that's going to be a multiple hour evolution. Oh yeah. I was talking to Sunshine the other day about how long it would take to swim. What was it? I think it was 5 miles. Yeah. Would be like 3 hours. Yeah. That's I would not want to do Or that. at least two and a half hours. Mhm. Yeah. Oh. So, um you got to be real strong. And dedicated. Right, yeah. row and most long? people aren't like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah most people aren't going to be rowing that distance. Yeah, well, yeah. that's that's mara- That's a marathon. I can get like, in the car and, and drive, and I don't want to go somewhere that takes me an hour to get to. Why would you want to row some? Like, yeah, I can't blame people. Yeah, you're an two and a half somewhere. hours away from me, and I see you twice a yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have to physically row myself to get to you. It's not like the Flintstones where you're using your feet to move your car. (laughs) Although I would be in a lot better shape if that was. You and me both. You even more so since you're traveling an hour every day. (laughs) God. I'm low on knee cartilage as it is. It'd be gone by that point. (laughs) I know that feel. (laughs) (laughs) So... The, so the depots. Yeah. So the one based off of a deposition of off of depositions taken from the surviving crew uh, was discovered in 1925. So the rumor okay. of the Block Islanders being, you know, piratey fox and luring people ashore was very rampant. So oh, okay. according to the crew, they and the first mate slash Captain Brooke rode ashore and left all 150 passengers on the ship. So this this first mate was a real class act. So he's charging people when food stores run low. The whole 150 passengers. So, so, so that means that from Germany to Rhode Island, 50 people have died. Mm-hmm. Oh, more than that. From like the sickness and or 50 passengers have died. According to this, 240 immigrants headed for Philly, 150. Virginia. 240, oh. 150, almost 100. Almost 100 wow. people have died so far. That's a lot of yuck. All right, so where did I leave off? All right, left all 150 passengers. So this, yeah, class right. act. Oh, man, yeah. Charge good, him good, for rations. Good. Aces. My kind of a fella. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so the Block Islanders had to persuade the first mate to return and bring the passengers to the island. So after bringing them ashore, the Islanders nursed them back <laughs> to health and later retrieved their possessions from the sunken vessel. Oh. They also buried oh, 20 or so who died, and the site was later marked by the Block Island Historical Society. Uh, that happened in 1947. That actually does make me kind of feel bad about the piracy story. Yeah, since yeah. they were like super Because they were clearly like, hey, the good guys, guys in this situation. Like, Captain shows up and is like, fuck all you... And then is like, uh, yeah, the Islanders, they were really mean. Yep. <laughs> they were really mean. <laughs> it was that, it was those guys. 
bad. So yeah, there's a there's a marker on the uh, near the spot that was where the ship is thought to have been run aground, which simply reads Palatine Graves, 1738. Uh, no remains of the mech have ever been found, and a former a former first warden of Block Island, Martha Ball. And a lifelong resident says that there's even some evidence that the ship may have been repaired and continued on to Philadelphia, but there's no actual record stating of such. Huh. Huh. Okay. Hence, like, the there's no ship. Yeah, there was no, no wreck has ever been discovered and people go diving, either fish diving or wreck diving in that area all the time, so. What the fuck is fish diving? That is not real. Well, I mean, that's not You go diving for fish? Yeah. They go fish. What? Spear fishing. That's that's real. Yeah, they yeah. shoot like spear guns at fish under the ocean. Yeah. And you go under the ocean. And you go and spear fish. Well, I mean, not me personally, but like <laughs> uh, one of the women that I'm stationed with, uh, one of the BM twos or second class bosun mates, she uh, she spear fishes in that area all the time. Not off of Block Island usually, but I mean, hell, there was one time where I was on duty this past summer. Where I walked out the front porch after eating lunch, and I see Kirsten walking up the beach with like a thirty-eight inch striped bass and a spear gun that she had just she had gone she had gone free diving, <laughs> and I'm just like I got this, <laughs> and then boom, shot it and grabbed it and swam back to the rocks at where the station was and was walking up the. Walking up the front lawn with this giant-ass fish in her hand. The gall of human beings. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was kind of badass. I don't know. I mean, that is badass, but, like, that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. We're just like, oh, we're just going to go into this big, giant water that we suck at being in. And we're going to stab the animals in it and steal it and take it back to the land that we are good at being in. And she ate it. I mean, yeah, I would have been mad if she had it. (laughs) Hey, look, I got this fish. I'm just going to leave it here. Yeah, no, she's a she's a hardcore outdoors type. Like she does bow hunting. She does shotgun hunting. She does rifle hunting and all sorts of cool stuff. And she's actually from uh, she's a West Coaster. She's from Oregon. Ah, that cool makes check. sense. West coasters. <laughs> so not to be rude, but we're kind of hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to the ghost ship part. Yes. Yes. So the first recorded. <laughs> Did you like that? Me and Sunshine were both like, "Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> finally, it's this part." <laughs> yeah, I've been talking about nothing but you know coast guard and misery for the past forty-five to minutes to an hour. <laughs> So Look, you've heard our show. <laughs> the first recorded story of the Palatine Light was in 1811 by Dr. Aaron C. Willie, himself a resident of Block Island. He claims to have seen okay. it the first time in February of 1810 and describes it as such. It was large and gently lambent, very bright, broad at the bottom, and terminating acutely upward, he wrote. I saw it again on the evening of December the 20th. It was then small, and I supposed it to be a light on board of some vessel, but I was soon undeceived. It moved along apparently mm-hmm. parallel to the shore for about two miles in the time that I was riding one at a moderate pace. You will not trick me, boat. Yeah. So it's a boat. They think they're seeing a boat light. 
Yeah. That's what he thought at first. But then he corrects himself. He was undeceived. He was undeceived. (laughs) You got to appreciate some some ways that these people spoke and wrote back then. I guess undeceived is a lot more specific than like, you know, figure it out. I was not fooled. Yeah. Yeah. You will not trick me, boat. (laughs) He said. Uh, what else we got here? So the people who have always lived here are so familiarized to the site that they never think of giving notice to those who do not happen to be present or even of mentioning it afterwards. So I guess they just get, it's like, oh yeah, it's just, that's just a ghost boat. We're good. Nothing to worry about. That's, I mean, that's my interpretation. (laughs) Hey, did anybody see that light? Oh, it's just the ghost boat. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, we see it all the time. It's just the ghost boat. Uh, the light looks like a blaze of fire six or seven miles from the northern part of Block Island, which is interesting because that would be Point Judith. (laughs) Uh, sometimes it's small like the light from a distant window. Sometimes it's as big as a ship and wavers like a torch. Uh, then Benjamin Congdon, born 1788, gave a typical Puritan explanation for the apparition, according to the folklorist Michael God is mad at us. (laughs) You're not far off. Uh-huh. Satan is tricking us. So, oh. About the burning Palatine ship, I may say that I have seen her eight or ten times or more. In those early days, nobody doubted her being sent by an almighty power to punish those wicked men who murdered her passengers and crew. Uh-huh. High there's, fives all around. There's your wrath of God right there. <laughs> do, do love a good wrath of God. So yeah, um, some of the other start stuff that I read too was that it uh, that sometimes you can hear the screams of Mary Vanderline in the surf on a stormy night in that time of in that time of year, which I think is because wild. she was like "fuck all y'all," I'm not staying with my stuff. shit. Yep. Oh man, I'm keeping my stuff. I'm keeping my stuff. Um, Damn. And then I I I actually went a bit further, like when we first uh, when you first asked me to do this. Um, because a couple of people that I was stationed with said that they responded to uh, burning boat calls off of Block Island okay. during the wintertime. So I'm like, all right, I can check this. I went through all of our case logs at the station going back to like <gasps> oh, 2005. You did not. Yeah. Oh. And there was only two SAR cases, or two search and rescue cases uh, that came somewhat close to it, but they weren't in that region. So okay, and it, it's weird when it comes to like the concept of burning boats in my profession, at least, uh, because there are a lot of fishing boats that use these giant sodium lights, um, and they're just like they're like these giant boxes, like I don't know, like this the size of like a, a big flat screen TV, mm-hmm. and they have like okay. this orange glow to them. So if they're far enough away, they kind of look like flames. Oh, they right. look like fire. Yeah, and I've at at other units, I've responded to what was a boat fire, and it turned out to be just a fishing boat with these bright ass orange lights on them. Okay. So there wasn't any recorded case, despite what some prior coasties that I was stationed with had said about us responding to a, a sighting of the Palatine off of uh, off of Point Judith. Well, that's okay. disappointing. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed because I'm like, oh, come on, come on, come on. There's got to be one. There's got to be one. There's got to be one. It's going to be Shit. This is going to be so anticlimactic when I tell Alex and such. 
Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. like, I like I like getting the disappointing actual science reason for stuff. Because we can't yeah. feel too good about ourselves right now. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that was basically the entire Amityville series. Was like, here's all of the stuff that was haunted. Yeah. But here's what it actually was. And it was just dead people. It was just dead people. Yeah, or the flies surrounding dead people because people died there. The corpse flies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The corpse flies are worse. Are worse than than ghost flies. They're so much. Yeah, worse. I would. Oh, why, so worse. Flies are just gross in general. Like, ugh. like black flies. Ugh. Yeah, but but ugh. but I would absolutely take ghost flies over corpse flies. Oh, me too. Yeah. hands down. Yeah, because the ghost flies won't touch you. Hundred percent. Ghost flies aren't real. They're just ghosts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's They're just true. ghosts. Corpse flies, they came from a corpse. They came from a corpse. <laughs> that's not great. No. That's not better. I don't want to be touched by that. I am not less spooked by this situation. I want to be in this house less now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the ghosts are less scary than actual dead people. But that's actually kind of interesting that there's, you know, just this bright orange light that is a traditional ship thing that yeah. gets people spooked that there's a ship fire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and there's and there's all sorts of stories in a lot of different coastal communities about ghost ships all over the place. You know, oh yeah. I mean it, it, there's you know, it goes back to, like with the the Flying Dutchman was the most famous one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that everybody's heard of, especially if they've watched Parrots of the Caribbean. Um <laughs> you know, but I it was pretty wild because I think I was talking about my show while we were underway at one night going around block island when one of the guys was like have you heard the palatine and i'm like no so he starts telling me about this and i'm like dude really that's awesome i need to find out more about this and i ended up having like three tabs open on my phone that i know i think i think yeah i think it it was it was giving you anxiety alex when i showed you a picture of how many tabs. okay but that's because you had like 58 tabs yeah 63 63. Oh my god. That's impressive. I'll it's my research. Project. I'll get into a project in work and have like 10 tabs open and then look at my computer and I'm like, oh god, what am I doing? Am I even keeping information straight at this point or am I just like burying myself? I mean, like I I can't actually talk because like I will, I will not open 63 tabs. <laughs> I will not. But I will have... Five tabs open on this internet browser, and five tabs open on this internet browser, and then I will also have a book open on this iPad, and also a notebook that I'm taking notes in, and post-it notes that I'm taking notes in, and a different notebook that I'm taking notes in, (laughs) and a Google Doc that I'm taking notes in, and a word processor that I'm taking notes in. (laughs) We need to get you a serial killer corkboard. I think that's what you need and what would... I have a poster board. You need like a full blown cork my, board. Have I shown you my 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 serial killer poster board? I look I look like a Pepe Sylvia. You're a crazy person. Pepe Sylvia. Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> okay. Well, that was that was that was a thing. Thanks. And oceans. <laughs> and oceans. <laughs> so shall we cool. do our um our Outro yeah, stuff. regular good old fashioned sign offy yeah. bits. Cool. Right. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us about a ghost ship. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry that you weren't able to prove that it's real. <laughs> nah.
Whatevs. I'm disappointed. But... <laughs> <laughs> Sunshine is judging your ghost story. <laughs> ah, I mean, and she has found you wanting ghosts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Other than Vanderline screams in the middle of the night when it's yeah. Stormy, okay, that was but... spooky. That was spooky. That is pretty kind of that. That is actually. And that's, kinda, could you imagine that? That's a common scary thing for me, like being somewhere quiet and alone. And then thinking that I'm hearing like screams or just like terrible things happening, especially when I'm backpacking. Yeah. So I've told you that my only hallucinations have been auditory, right? And it's not like a common thing. It's it it mostly happens when I'm like stressed. I also get sleep paralysis. It's super fun. But I have woken up a couple of times and heard a scream and a sob. I don't like that. (laughs) Fuck. And it's not great. That noise. <laughs> it's not Damn. great. Yeah. Yeah. Ten ten out of out of out of a hundred. Out of a hundred. Terrible. Yep. <laughs> Would not recommend. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh signing off stuff. So thank you for listening. Thanks, Mike, for joining us. Yes, thank, thank you very you. much for having everybody, me. Everybody everybody that wants a neat eldritch horror with like some fun military procedural shit thrown in there <laughs> go and check out uh boston harbor horror it actually is really really a delight and i have listened to it up to where it's at so i will continue listening and all y'all should do that as well and stuff follow us on social media at palm pitch pod yeah that stuff yeah Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Social media, Palm Pitch Pod, Coffee, Patreon, and all of our Twitter, Instagram. Join us in, Is it you know, chat us up and... Is it super weird what? that I'm a little disappointed that we haven't gotten, like, a straight up email from anybody? <laughs> like, that's all I want. I just want some, like, old, you know... As as a uh, old school of communication as d- we can get, like... <laughs> Dear listeners, yeah, write me an email, please. Bring, bring joy to Sunshine's old tired heart yeah. by writing us an I email. Shit about Twitter. I'm never on Instagram. Unless I'm posting pictures of my dogs. I'll read an email though. <laughs> to palmpitchpod at gmail dot com. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I will send you guys an email. Thank you. Woo-hoo! Yes. <laughs> well, um, so I, I hope think... I brought something interesting and entertaining to you guys. I know it seemed a little, it was very, very all over the road. I was hoping to be a little bit more linear. But <laughs> I, uh, all over the road. Is I fine. did not help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Blame Alex. I did not Blame help. Alex. This is great. Yeah. This is, this is what happens when I'm let off my leash. That's the reason I have a ridiculous outline. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, she needs it to stay on track. Yeah. That's for sure. Gotcha. It's true. It's true. All right. Yeah. Well, people think that I have my shit together. No, no, no. I am barely maintaining my shit for the hour that this show is on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you guys um, enjoyed it and, you know, thank you so much for inviting me on. And if you ever want to ever want me to come back to talk other, you know, weird coast guard shit or just to just to tell us whatever, about the ocean. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've it. got a, I mean, I've got a couple of like anecdotal stories of my own personal experience, but nothing like crazy crazy because i haven't traveled to like where a lot of the weird crazy shit has happened you know in like you know the the middle of the pacific or anything like that so 
Being in the middle of the ocean sounds like something that would give me death as well. Yes, <laughs> give me death as well. There's, there is no land anywhere near me. It's time for dying. <laughs> this is this is die time now. Yeah, it's dead dead time. All right, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining. Uh, yeah, yeah that's it. Awesome. Okay, love you. Bye. bye. Love you, bye. <laughs>